0: Log Talk Radio.
1: National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander-Bennett, and I want to welcome the callers and chatters to research at the National Archives and Beyond. This show will provide individuals interested in genealogy and history an opportunity to listen, learn, and take action. If you have logged in as a guest and you wish to participate in the chat, please sign in through your Facebook account or blog, Talk Radio. Well, tonight's show, we will explore black slavery emancipation research in northern states with James W. Petty. Well, about five years ago, Jim became interested in African-American genealogy studies upon following client genealogy into the slave culture of Rhode Island. Upon learning about the concept of slavery in all states in America and the eventual gradual emancipation of slaves in each of the northern states, he realized that a product of the emancipation movement was the creation of slave birth records from as early as 1777 and continuing until national emancipation in 1865. Now, these records led to the keeping of other records relating to African Americans in the northern states which will hopefully become a resource for researchers throughout the United States. Currently, Jim has been collecting and abstracting slave birth records for the state of New Jersey from 1804 to 1865, with the goal of publishing his findings during the 2015-2016 sesquicentennial of slave emancipation in the United States. Jim has a degree in genealogy technology from BYU and has been certified as a genealogist and a genealogy record searcher by the Board for Certification of Genealogists. Well, I am currently trying to reach Jim, and we are not getting him. And so what we're going to do is just chat. And I hope we will eventually get Jim on the line. And I know some of you probably heard me calling Jim. Uh, And hopefully, as I said, we will get Jim on the line. In the meantime, if any of you have done any research in the northern states, please feel free to call 646-200-0491 and press 1 to speak to the host. Now, I know that many of you have probably listened to some of the Blog Talk radio shows, and I strongly encourage you to listen to the shows of which we talked about research in various states louisiana alabama mississippi kentucky oh my goodness tennessee yes we have looked at how to conduct research and what resources are available in those various localities so i am going to put on some music again you will hear the phone ring and that's because i'm trying to reach Jim. So just hold tight, everyone. Let's see what's going on with Jim, and I will bring him on as soon as possible. Favor. Yes.
2: Can you call me on a different number?
1: Okay, Jim, give me a different number for you. Okay. Eight zero one. By the way. I understand.
2: Yes. And anyone who wants to make contributions to this number will be welcome. Um, no. <laughs>
1: okay.
2: Um, area code eight zero one. Yeah. Uh, Five seven two four zero four nine.
1: Okay, I'm calling Jim back, everyone, so just hold tight. Okay, thank you so much for your patience, everyone. I'm getting Jim on the line. Hello. Hello, Jim, and welcome to the show. Well, we have a full house, and everyone is very interested in learning about your research. So from your research, uh, you have identified four categories of records that provide genealogical data on enslaved people in northern states before the Civil War. But before you do that, let's begin with the legislative history establishing immediate and gradual emancipation.
2: Okay, the thing that people need to remember when they're doing research is that whenever records are created, there is a process that goes beforehand, and with um, slave emancipation and anything tending to slavery uh, prior to 1865 had to be legislated in order for slaves to have any rights or privileges uh, whatsoever and so it's important for people to go in and say okay I have ancestors that I think grew up in New York uh therefore what records existed for slaves in New York and they get in and they find out they look at the uh, they go into the legislation of laws in New York state and find out what uh, the situation with slavery was. And so it's it's largely a matter of doing research in those kind of records because those records are not regularly available to the public because the north tried to keep them quiet. And uh and so people have had to start all over again discovering what records existed and what laws existed and uh what the role of the slave and the former slave was in that part of the country.
1: Right, well can you give us some examples of what you're referencing when you're saying the legislative uh we need to at least look at some of the laws. What what laws are you referencing?
2: Okay, what I what I'm talking about is in uh in 1777, uh, Vermont became the first state to pass a law uh, freeing the slaves. And in doing that, they needed to be able to uh, have something that identified the slaves. Of course, at that time, there were only 200 slaves in Vermont. And uh, it became a matter of going in to the overseers of the poor or the vital records uh, offices of the counties, or in that case in Vermont, it was in the, the town records, and and find out who the uh, newly freed slaves were, because they had to have papers that showed that they were freed. And they had to go into the um, uh, courts and say, okay, I need a registration paper. I need an identity paper. And so, in starting in Vermont, You had those kind of records being created. And then they were created in um, Massachusetts starting in 1780, and in uh, Rhode Island in 1783. And the various different local courts, the overseers of the poor and the uh, county clerk, all had to keep records pertaining to vital records because in all of those other states other than vermont they started out with a gradual emancipation now if people are not familiar with gradual emancipation it was a way of sliding into freedom and uh, people who were slaves couldn't just walk off the farm and out into the public without uh, inciting riots And so they had to um, wait a certain period of time. And each of the states that passed gradual emancipation uh, said, okay, these people can be emancipated, but we'll only pass a law for people who are born after the date of this law. So in Massachusetts it was uh, 1780, March 25th, I think, 1780. Uh, and a similar date for uh, Rhode Island, 1783. Any black child born after that date was eligible for uh, emancipation when they reached the age of 25. And between then and 25, they remained as servants to their masters. They received their uh, maintenance, their care, and the promise of freedom, uh Until it reached the time when they were uh legally viable, and the local authorities, the overseers of the poor, and the county clerks had to begin keeping a record of who these people were, so they would know that they were twenty five when the right day came
1: right and so as you have been exploring the the records. Please kind of give us an idea of exactly the categories of records that you uncovered and and help us understand where we can find those records
2: okay the The challenge is that uh, these type of records uh were not considered well they were basically they were hidden they were kept uh, apart from the regular Uh, records of the county, and uh, people had to go into the basements, had to go into the archives to find uh, records listed under a variety of names. Uh, In New Jersey, for instance, uh, I have on my desk here, I have the records for uh, the Count Morris in New Jersey from 1804, and they were recorded by the uh, Overseer of the Poor, for the county of from in morristown uh for the county of morris and um uh they were recorded in simply in books that were referred to as the uh birth of slave children or the birth of black children and uh and that's how people would have to go in looking for them is to see what they can find and i can tell you right now every county in new jersey had records. I've been able to identify records for every county uh, that existed beyond 1804. And
1: so. Um, oh, that's wonderful.
2: Yeah, and we're talking not just one or two records. Uh, in what I think in 1800, New Jersey had on their census records had approximately 11,000 slaves registered uh of course they were just listed on censuses as a, uh you know as marks uh for numbers within a county so many uh black slaves within the county no names no ages or anything just the fact that they were there uh, mm-hmm. but but uh, as those families began having children as those individual slaves began having children uh, whether by their uh, white master or by a uh, by other slaves on the properties that they were on, uh, then they had to begin registering them with the county. Uh, here's an example. Uh, here is a, uh, a record from ni- from 1812. I certify that my female slave named Ruth is delivered of a black child named uh, Myra on the 22nd day of May, 1810, and Margaret, a female black child, uh, born at the same farm uh, by the same woman uh, on the 7th of July, 1812, uh, both at my house uh, in Sutter Township, no, Chatham Township. And it's signed by Sarah Cook, the widow of uh, Phoebus Cook, deceased. So that leads someone right there to a a the name of an owner, and the name of a, right. of a of a mother, and and the name of children with a birth date. And they didn't start keeping birth records for white children until 1848, and so a lot of these records exist well before uh, the registration of other children in the county.
1: Well, that's interesting. Yes, indeed.
2: Yeah. In New York, they began keeping uh, these kind of records in 1799. And again, they didn't start keeping records of uh, the white children being born until uh, 1848 or later. Uh, Massachusetts began keeping Uh, their regular vital records program on a statewide basis in 1841. But they had started keeping vital records on a township basis from the very beginning of the towns. And Mm -hmm. so they were already established uh, to record the births of children as of 1780. And they had to begin keeping uh, records of everybody because uh, Massachusetts said, fool with it. We're just going to free all of our slaves in uh, 1784. Uh, they went through a series of uh, court uh, discussions and decided that it wasn't worth uh, trying to manipulate or manage uh, this kind of slave emancipation. And so they freed them all at once.
1: And when was that again in Massachusetts?
2: About 1784. Okay. And uh and keep in mind that Maine was also part of Massachusetts up until 1820. And uh in 1820 they had the uh, uh amendment uh, to approve s- uh, Maine as a free state. So you okay, had so a whole variety have... of things.
1: Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead.
2: Uh, you had a whole variety of different uh, legislations going on. Pennsylvania began keeping um, or began gradual emancipation in 1780, uh, but they got um, kind of messed up in the uh, in the way that they were conducting their uh, emancipation affairs because the some of the public at that point and they had they had. Uh, upwards of seven or 8,000 slaves in Pennsylvania in 1780. Uh, but they, um, uh, the legislation said, okay, let's create something different. Uh, we want to be known as a free state, so we'll pass legislation that says that if an owner will come in and uh, declare his slaves as, uh, in, uh, what's the term, Um, they're going, uh, uh, I can't think of the word right now, Uh, they're going to be apprenticed. We're going to apprentice them for life. And so they will not be listed on our roles as slaves, and they can live in their own houses but they or they can live in apartments or wherever. But they will be listed as apprenticed for life. And they will remain that way uh, until they die. And so but what made was that like,
1: different other than changing the word?
2: That's all it was, was changing the word. And okay. so they uh, they were practicing it and uh the uh there were societies, the um uh The Society for the Emancipation of Slaves uh, in Philadelphia uh, held uh, meetings and held courts, so to speak, that people could come in and declare their slaves uh, to be apprenticed or indentured. And not only did residents of Philadelphia come in, but people from all over the surrounding states came in because they figured, okay, if I'm going to be paying uh, and supporting my slaves, uh, I might as well get paid for it. And they were told that if they apprenticed their slaves for life, they would be paid $3 per person per year. And so they were getting paid for keeping their
1: slaves. Oh, interesting. Interesting
2: yes very and they were doing a similar situation in new jersey as well and and so people were actually making a profit off of using the system
1: well you know it what you're saying though is so important to to understand just history and the legislation just to to figure out what's going on here and the apprenticeship as you said they they changed the name, but then they were paid to keep their slaves.
2: Yes, they became independent uh, owners of servants, and so they had servants, and they got paid for it, and they didn't have to lose the their services. Now, keep in mind, uh, with gradual emancipation, everyone who owned slaves could keep the slaves that were born prior to the date of the gradual emancipation law and mm-hmm. uh, in effect they were they were supposed to remain as slaves until they died and, and that could have been clear up into the uh, late 1800s so you know this was just a process by which people were starting to learn to change society uh the when we look at when we look at the way laws are made laws are created by the people who are the principal residents of an area mm-hmm. uh it you know they're not created by the slaves they're not created by the immigrants coming into the country they're created by the principal population to protect them and uh and if you can get a, a spokesman. Who can say? Oh, we have people here who need to have laws to protect them, and uh, they could start the process of, of legislating these new laws. Uh, but you had to find someone who was willing uh, to do that sort of thing for uh, a, a group of people that were were uh, poor or were uh, suffering from injustices. So I, I look. I look at. When I look at legislation, I'm going, okay, keep in mind, everyone who's Catholic that came into America in the 1600s were here illegally. Everyone who was Baptist that came into America prior to 1700 were thrown into uh, jails and prisons because it was an illegal religion. Uh, and they had to begin passing laws in Virginia and in Maryland and in various different states allow them to practice their religion without being persecuted. And so we Mm -hmm. look for those legislations to find out what uh, records might have been created in connection with those uh, situations.
1: Right. But what would happen if uh, through gradual emancipation, let's say, in Pennsylvania, that an owner made a decision they did not want? to become an independent owner of slaves what would happen to the uh the slave
2: well what they would do if they didn't want to maintain a slave then they could uh manumit them they could free them on okay. their own prior okay. to prior to 1780 to manumit a slave could cost upwards of 200 dollars or 200 pounds uh because the uh overseers of the poor had to have funds to be able to s- help support these people that were put out on the streets uh and so they cha- they passed laws uh, making uh the slaves uh, available to manumission without the expense and mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of slave owners began freeing their slaves on a wholesale basis 'cause they knew they were going to have to be paying uh for them somewhere along the line and they were going to lose the right to own them. And mm-hmm. so uh and so the whole society was changing. And the the really important thing is it's the idea that people began to recognize that society was changing. For instance, uh in seventeen oh six in New York Uh, A law was legislated or a uh, a series of laws were legislated to find out whether or not it was legal for a slave to be baptized as a Christian. Now, Hmm. today we we go, why why would they have to have something like that? Well, in 1706, people were not educated enough to recognize that slaves were human beings. They thought, slaves at that time uh, had the same sort of souls as animals, and therefore you couldn't convert and baptize an animal uh, to be uh, a Christian, and they had to debate that in the state legislature to determine that it was all right to recognize them as human beings and still keep them as slaves. And uh, and so the entire culture was undergoing an education. And that was happening in the North faster than it was happening in the South. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we look at it and say, okay, in the South, uh, we kind of wish it could have happened the same way it happened in the North because records were created in the South. Uh, the slaves were freed right out of hand, and records weren't uh, created saying that Joe here was a slave of this person, or Mary was a slave of this person, and she was uh, this particular age. And so we look at it and go, oh, if only they could have kept records in the South, like they were doing in the North. My, yes, yes.
1: And, you know, you're pointing out, though, that the records that were created are very rich records for individuals to uh, find their ancestors. Now, yeah. you, you brought up, you, you mentioned to us the, the birth records, but what other kind of records, because I know you have, you identified four different types of records, and so what other records in addition to the birth records were you able to identify?
2: Well, there were the manumission records, and there were um, there were probate records. Now, I mentioned probate records because during the 1800s, uh, a lot of the slave owners recognized that these people were people, and they wanted to be able to take care of them in some way, uh, so that there would be a way to care for the people. They they came to appreciate the slaves that they had but they they knew that they after their death they wouldn't be able to control what happened to these individuals and so uh, a lot of people ruled in their in their uh, probate records that various slaves would be freed and in the southern states in order to free them they oftentimes had to set up uh housing or set up places that they could move to. Uh, Thomas Jefferson, when he passed away, um, set up housing or set up property in Ohio that all of his slaves could move to, and and they, and they received uh, papers showing that they were freed. If a person didn't have papers, if they didn't have Uh, Government identity papers, Uh, even in the northern states, in Ohio and Pennsylvania and New York, they could be captured and sold, as we term it, they were sold downriver. They were sold down the Mississippi to be slaves again in the south. And uh, and so it was necessary to have these kind of um, uh, identity papers created. And so you have to look in county clerk records, uh, and county minutes to try and find records of those individuals. Uh, People who, many slave owners, had slaves that went with them when they went to do business. And they would travel into uh, slave states uh, with their slaves in tow to uh, handle their uh, goods and to manage their affairs, but they had to have papers for them so that the slaves couldn't simply be arrested and and resold into slavery again.
1: Right, and of course I had guests on my show, uh, Solomon Northrup, the family of Solomon Northrup, Well, where we know his story very well, where he was actually, he was a free man and was sold south. And so clearly, you know, I'm I'm thinking that if he had had papers, would that have happened? Or they sometimes ignored the papers and took them anyway.
2: That may have been possible. Uh, Keep in mind, we're dealing with a society that was still very biased against uh, African Americans. Uh, They hadn't learned. They hadn't uh, changed their thinking yet. Uh, Frederick Uh Douglass uh when he was when he first escaped slavery uh went north using uh the identification papers of a uh black sailor and um and took those papers with him uh to show that he was freed and uh and he had to go through a whole series of uh different identification papers in order to, until he had his own uh identification papers and so yeah, those are things yeah. that have you have to keep looking for. Well, I was mentioning manumissions and probate records. I just pulled yeah. out a copy of a will here uh, that illustrates. Uh, this was uh, the will of a man named William McRae of Marion County, Missouri, Hannibal, Missouri. Uh, Missouri was a slave state, but just across the river from there uh, in Illinois, it was a free state. But in order for them to go into uh, free state, they had again had to have papers to avoid being sold down river. Uh, mm-hmm. But in his will, he he had nineteen slaves listed in his will, and this was unusual because he listed each one of them and gave them. Uh, Eli- Elizabeth Delpha, who was born March twenty second, eighteen hundred nine. Sarah, who was born in June. 1811. Alcia, who was born in September, 1814. And for all 19 of his friends, uh named and given birth dates. What a wonderful record this is. And you might find that in other people's records. And he did it because the laws were changing uh, both in Illinois and in in Missouri and in other areas. And so he wanted to make sure that uh, his his slaves had records.
1: Yes. I mean, that, that's just a wonderful record that you have just shared with us also. Now, we have a comment coming out of the chat. This is from Family Tree Girl, and she's saying in Ohio, some counties required people of color to pay $500 and register that they were going to live in Ohio. Now, not all counties did it, but some did. So if $500 right. to come in the county, I mean, there is no record or there is a record that shows that?
2: There should be a record because in order for them to uh, pay the money and receive an um, identity record, that record had to be recorded, so that they couldn't uh, simply walk in and say, "Here's my record," and have it be taken away. Yes, yes. So, so the county clerk's minutes ought to have a copy of that record in it, in their
1: uh, in their notes their notes right well we're going to take a quick break and come back so that we can continue to talk about the records in the north and so i hope that those of you who would like to call in and if you have a specific question or would you would like to make a comment after the break please call 646 200 and press 1 so we're going to take a quick break and come back on and continue this discussion and knowledge of genealogy and history. All of my shows are available as a podcast immediately after the broadcast, and they can be downloaded from Blog Talk Radio and iTunes. You have been listening to Jim Petty discuss black slavery emancipation research in the northern states. I have opened the phone lines for questioning if you would like to ask a question or make a comment. And I do see a, a question coming online from area code five oh four. Do you have a question or a comment? Area code five oh four.
0: Yes, ma'am. You're live. Greetings to greetings to you and Mr. Teddy. I wanna say that uh living in the New Orleans area and looking at census records from eighteen seventy and Wilkinson County, Mississippi, and some parishes in Louisiana, I have seen uh black people who listed their whose birthplace was listed as Pennsylvania in eighteen seventy census. Uh so I don't know if they, you know, were living in those places during enslavement. Uh, but you had touched upon how some people you know may have been caught up in the uh you know southern, the domestic slave trade apparently if they had no papers uh some sort but i have seen pennsylvania quite a few times listed as a place of birth uh in the 1870 census, uh assuming that they lived there in those counties in mississippi and louisiana during enslavement five years before 1870. And uh, uh, I also want to say, uh, Bernice, I just got in the mail a very new book. In fact, the book actually will be be published October 1st, but you were able to pre-order it. It's called The American Slave Coast, A History of the Slave Breeding Industry. It's written by Ned Sublett and his wife, Constance Sublett. The book is 754 pages and weighs almost two pounds. And uh, I, I have his contact information because he will be doing book tours, and he'll be here in New Orleans in November.
1: Okay, and if you could send me that by email, I can post it so that others can uh, look into that book. Thank you so much for for calling in. Do you have a okay, question you'd you like to ask, or you just want to yeah, make yeah, a comment?
0: It, it was related to that uh uh, you know, identifying blacks who had listed who had Pennsylvania listed at their birthplace in the 1870 census in the deep south here, was it possible that they were caught up in a domestic slave trade and, and actually having been coming from Pennsylvania?
2: I, I think it very likely was. Uh, keep in mind that slavery was not finally abolished in Pennsylvania until about 1845. I'm not sure of the exact date on it. Uh, People in Pennsylvania will come in. It was abolished in 1827 or um, 1820 when the 25 years was up. And I'm going, no, it wasn't abolished by then. It wasn't until the 1840s that slavery for all slaves was abolished in Pennsylvania. And so families may have existed for a long period of time, in Pennsylvania before they uh, were emancipated. So it's a source to start looking at. And uh, and there's going to be all kinds of records that you have to look into to discover these records. Because they, they were trying to hide the fact that they had slaves after a certain point in time. And, and so and the county, we're part of that movement to keep the information hidden
0: Okay. thank you yeah
1: okay thank you, thank you caller, thank you. and I think you make a you make a very good point, so even if you're in the South and you're seeing Massachusetts, not necessarily Massachusetts, but you're seeing Pennsylvania, even New Jersey and some of the other states, you you also have to, I think, as you have said, examine when slavery uh, ended in some of those places. Maybe they moved before uh, and ended up in the South. So it's something to, to think about. But as you said, that's a way for individuals to go back into those states And to see if there's documentation available that they can uh, find answers.
2: It's also important to recognize that there are records that were created. You have to really search for. Uh, For for instance, uh, in in New Jersey, uh, they didn't have any slaves listed on the 1850 census. And so people who were supporting emancipation said, oh, look, see, they didn't have slaves in New Jersey. But in fact, they did. They didn't have very many slaves in 1850. But the federal government didn't send out any slave uh, uh, papers from the Census uh, Bureau because there were so few slaves and they didn't want to go to the expense of printing up special enumeration uh, pages for uh, the state of New Jersey.
1: Interesting.
2: Yeah. And that may, that kind of situation may have existed in other places, and you have to study to find out. Uh, the state of New York has over 80 townships, or no, not 80, 120 townships, uh, where slavery had existed, in 1790, uh, New York State had 60,000 or not 60, 25,000 slaves uh, listed in the census, and uh, and people don't realize that's a lot of people. That's not anything close to what was in the South. In the South, there were 600,000 slaves, uh, and so 25,000 is just a scratch. Compared to that, but that was a lot of people to be aware of, and a lot of those slaves were on Long Island, where a lot of the farms were, and a lot of the uh, cattle industry and such like that. So you uh-huh. have to get to know what industries existed, what the um, local society was, uh, what areas would have needed slaves or, or not needed slaves, and so it's. Um, so there's
1: a question coming out of the chat. Uh, so did they just not right. count the slaves, or uh, not pay taxes on them, or uh, so where, you know, were they just part of the household? I mean, what happened to the people that indeed were slaves?
2: Either they were manumitted, or if they were slaves and living in a uh, indentureship or apprenticeship situation, they were simply listed as other on the. On the census prior to 1850, the census records uh, didn't really have a uh, name by name enumeration, Uh, and so uh, it would be listed under the name of the uh, white head of the household, and everyone in his household, whether they were quote unquote uh, free black or um, or something else, were listed as other. And so you have to be aware of those particular numbers when you're looking through the census records.
1: hmm Okay, so we have talked about the birth records. We've talked about manumission and probate, and you said there were four. So what's the number four? Uh,
2: the, the fourth was um, simply... Uh, Registration records.
1: Okay, and uh, give us an example of the registration papers.
2: An example of the registration papers would be going into the county clerk and registering this person as a free slave or a free black, uh, so that they or registering them as a slave in the possession of somebody so that they mm-hmm. could, could be transported across state lines. You have to realize, back in in the 1700s, uh, in every state, it was illegal for a slave to go across county lines without uh, registration papers. Uh, they were prisoners within the county or in the community uh, where they were living unless they had identification uh, government papers that would allow them to pass freely in Mm -hmm. society. And Mm -hmm. if they didn't have it, they could be arrested and sold.
1: Now, Jim, with all of these different papers, I mean, we're, we're talking about the resources are there. So, where would you, uh, how would you recommend individuals begin their research in the northern states as far as sources, online sources or whatever? Kind of give them a a direction as to where they need to go now.
2: Okay. Uh, If you have somebody who is in a northern state during a particular time period, you want to find out as much about the history of the African American culture in that location as much as you can, because, uh, like I say, the white population that ran the uh, courts and that recorded the information had prejudices. It was just built into their system at that point. They didn't know any better, and um, and so individuals had to either forcibly get their names onto rolls or um, had to work with their owners to get put onto manumission uh, papers or into vital records. Uh, and there had to be an effort in order to uh, to create those records. And a lot of records didn't cre- get created simply because uh, the white population was not overjoyed about it. And so they avoided it. You know, it became... and uh, so we we have to uh, explore and search. When I'm doing my research, trying to find the slave birth records, I didn't know New Jersey had records. Mm-hmm. We, um, you know, and it took two years of contacting uh, county clerks and working with researchers in those areas to discover records that were available. That's going to also be the case whether you're in Connecticut or whether you're in uh, Pennsylvania or whether you're in Delaware or whatever state you were in that was considered a northern state. Uh, You have to explore to find what records might still exist. And for the most part, they're not going to be online. They're not going to be digitized. They're not going to even be on microfilm. Uh, most of them are still hidden away in uh, cupboards and boxes in some of these uh, different archives. And so it will require some work in order to track them down. When you find records, make the most of them. I'm in the process, like, I, like you mentioned everyone, I'm in the process of abstracting all of the records for New Jersey so that I can publish something that says are the 10,000 children that were born between 1850 and 1865 that were still slaves. Uh, and uh, and that's going to create a resource for people to go to sometime in the future. Uh, and the same sort of thing exists for New York. There are, like I think, hundreds of towns that had records, but I would guess probably less than 10% of those uh, town records have been uh, or have, and almost none of them have been um, uh, put, uh, put online. And so we're still in a discovering phase.
1: Right, right. Well, I think this would be a wonderful project for someone to tackle. You, You're tackling... Uh, this in in New Jersey, but what about some of the other states uh, where perhaps would, would similar every
2: documents
1: Scott. exist?
2: Encourage every Boy Scout, it has to do with a project for his Eagle Award. <laughs> records. Well, that would be that, a nice
1: Eagle uh, Award, that's for certain.
2: <laughs> right.
1: The thing is there's a comment in here that you know some clerks are just not knowledgeable of records of persons of color, even when you go to uh, some of the various uh repositories, so just what do we do? Just start asking, show us what you have, give us the box, let us go through it. I mean, how did you determine that you would look in New Jersey and start finding new birth records?
2: Yeah, start asking questions, start seeing who will release Information to you mm-hmm. it takes people who are have a passion for it to get out there and say, "Gee, I've never checked to see if there are records in uh, my township in Sullivan, uh, New York. I wonder if I can find out." And if they find something, then they might be able to uh, abstract those records and write an article for uh, um, one of the local genealogy magazines and get something started to make records available. One of the things I emphasized in my article on uh, slave emancipation records is that we're in the process of creating a whole new archives that hasn't been explored before because people weren't looking for these uh, records. weren't asking the right questions. hmm that's what we need to do is ask.
1: Questions. So we need to start asking the right questions, and I just right. want you all to know that the article that Jim is referencing was written uh, in December. It's in the National Genealogical Society Quarterly, Volume Four uh, One Hundred, Number Four, December Two Thousand Twelve. And so you can see that he did put in writing some of what he has been uh involved in to to help others. And so I thought that what he had done would would definitely at least stimulate those who are listening to this show to begin to ask the questions. What records are available? What can we Love find? It. I would love, I would love to see that, and and just invite a, anyone who wants to come on the show and talk about the records you found in northern states that could help others. I think this yes. is exactly what we need to to know, we need to do, and it and it's just helping helping others uh, find yes. their ancestors. So, Jim, do you have any parting words before we close the show? Believe it or sure. not, we're almost done.
2: Oh wow. Uh, yeah. the, my parting words are, don't do uh, this research only on the basis of your ancestry. I did. I'm interested in black research, interested in professional research. I'm not black. I, my ancestry isn't black. I happen have ancestors that are slaves. But I was knowledgeable enough about uh, the records and doing genealogy that I recognize here is something that's crying out that can be made help other people discover their genealogy, and so if I can do this, you can do it I can do it just take it
1: okay time to go
2: and question and and help everyone else uh learn about their ancestors
1: what well, thank you so very much and I think that's a challenge to everyone. You know, do research. Do research wherever you can. And there's a comment coming out of the chat from True and she says, It takes a village. The wider genealogy community can help. And I think that's that's a that's a great challenge for everybody because everyone has an opportunity to contribute knowledge. And that's so right. thank you so much, Jim, for Joining us tonight and sharing your knowledge with us.
2: Thank you very much. It was
1: a pleasure. Pleasure to have you. Now, everyone, please remember your ancestors left footprints. Therefore, you should follow the clues that are presented to you through oral history, family records and Research at the National Archives and Beyond. You can continue this discussion on the Research at the National Archives and Beyond and AfriGenius.com Facebook pages. Also, remember to listen to the African Roots Podcast with Angela Walton Raji on Friday. Thank you so much for joining Research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This show is sponsored by your host Bernice Baby's Genealogy Research and Educational Services LLC. And I look forward to you joining me next Thursday. This is your host Bernice Alexander Bennett. Good night, everyone. Good night, Jim. Good night.